We come in our journey through Genesis to Genesis chapter 30. And we begin there in verse 25. Jacob's wages. Your ears picked up when I talked about wages. Money. It came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said unto Laban, Send me away that I may go into mine own place, into my country. In verse 26 of Genesis 30, Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served thee, and let me go. For thou knowest my service which I have done thee. And Laban said unto him, I pray thee, if I have found favor in thine eyes, tarry, stay, stay. He keeps saying as only a grandfather could say, stay, stay. If I'd have been him, I'd say, you, you go, but leave the grandchildren here. For I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. And he said, Appoint me thy wages, and I will give it. And he said unto him, Thou knowest how I have served thee, and how thy cattle was with me, or under my supervision. He was over all of his flocks. For it was little which thou hast before I came. Now, Laban was a wealthy man, but it was little compared to what it is now. And it is now increased into a multitude. And the Lord hath blessed thee since my coming. And now when I shall provide for mine own house also. And he said, What shall I give thee? And Jacob said, Thou shalt not give me anything. What a statement. Most of us would say, Well, this is what I want. Here's the contract that I present to you. But Jacob didn't want Laban to ever say that he'd made him rich. I don't want anything you can give me, Laban. Well, what's he going to do? How is he going to be paid? The psalmist said, The lines are falling to me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Don't we want our lot to be from the Lord and our heritage to be from Him? And Jacob said, Thou shalt not give me anything. If thou wilt do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep thy flock. For a period of time, several years, no doubt, will transpire. I will pass through all thy flock today, removing from thence all the speckled and spotted cattle, and all the brown cattle among the sheep, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and of such shall be my hire. What a bargain. What a deal. We'll see how the Lord works in their lives. Our gracious Heavenly Father, at your word we bow, and thank you for giving it to us and preserving it to us, would you give us instruction today? Bless every heart. And Lord, to that one who may not understand the gospel, we pray that you would open up the clear teaching. Would you resurrect dead hearts and show Christ the only Savior and that your grace is free and sovereign and you have it here today wherever your gospel is preached so freely available. We pray that you would give faith to believe Turn many hearts to you. And those who already know you and follow you, may they with zeal, may we each with zeal and determination give you all of our hearts and let you plan the way for us. It is far better to allow you to have your way than for us to live by our own schemings and connivings. We pray in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. But at long last, Jacob comes to his father-in-law. I bet that was a hard conversation. I remember going before my father-in-law to be and asking for Kathy's hand in marriage. 
I think I'd have rather done anything on earth than that, that particular. I'd rather cleaned all the restrooms in Birmingham than, you know. I thought I had favor, you know, but uh, you never quite know when it comes to a daughter and a father's heart. Uh, Josh, I tell you one day when that little boy comes, I don't care how handsome or rich he is, he will not be good enough for your daughter. I want you to know that. I'm sorry, Jonathan. Just, just, close, your, just close your ears right now. But I repeat, he will not be good enough. Can the daddy say amen here today? Can the mother say amen here today? But he goes to his father-in-law and said, it's time for me to leave. It was, it was long overdue for those families to go their separate direction. And the Bible teaches that, doesn't it? Leave and cleave. Those are magic, glorious, holy words in, in these relationships. Someone has said that while Jacob had many faults, idleness was not one of them. He had carefully tended his father's Isaac's sheep and knew all about what he was doing here. So he gave that same careful carefulness and attention to detail when he was put over the herds of his father-in-law. Jacob was smart, make no mistake about it, and he was a hard worker. You put those two things together and you will see a business success. Someone who's smart and hard working, and certainly those who ask the Lord to, to bless and to follow his leading. Over the years of working for the hand of his wives in marriage, he has made Laban quite wealthy. But after Joseph's birth, something happened to Jacob. And it must be that the Lord said, Jacob, it's time. I've got some, you've got some unfinished business that you need to attend to. Oh, remember Esau, he's still alive. And we've got to go back and, and remedy some things. And you've got to face up to some situations. That's the way the Lord does, doesn't it? Grace does not remove our responsibilities. And so while His grace is amazing and full and free, we still must do the right thing about everything. And so the Lord tells Jacob, it's time for you to go and, and do some things and make some amends and, and do the best that you can. And I will go with you and I will bless you and guide you. It was time for him to leave. The promises of God made to him and to his father and to his grandfather were not to be fulfilled here in Haran. They were to be fulfilled in Canaan. God not only chooses who he will bless, but where he will bless. And this too is sovereign. There are certain places and times and histories and eras that we can point to and say, my, look what the Lord did. Think of the day of Pentecost. Have we ever seen anything like that? There are those who might say that they have, but nothing so amazing as, as Peter standing on that. Peter standing and preaching, first of all, is amazing, isn't it? That he had been reclaimed and allowed by God to do that. And then preaching to a people who were not open, at least should have been, to what he was about to say. And miraculously their hearts were opened. By the work of the Lord, thousands were converted. Oh, we see the Lord do amazing things. And we would point to Pentecost and the early days of the church. or The ministries of George Mueller, for example, or George Whitfield or the Wesleys. Or Spurgeon, periods of special blessing from the Lord and a pouring out of His power and His might upon the preached and printed Word and the works. We think of works like Amy Carmichael and Hudson Taylor. And we marvel at, at what the Lord has done in times and in places, specific places. He's sovereign. You can't explain it apart from the, the sovereignty of God. Dr. Louis Drummond pastored this church in the late 1950s, and he was, had an amazing evangelistic ministry here. 
I stand in the line of some illustrious pastors of this church. And I, from time to time, read through the church records and uh, see the, the, the record of their prayers and their supplication. You know, they paid $3,000. They, they had to raise the money. I have these notes written down in my, my notes on my desk. Just recently, I got nostalgic and started the little um, composition books. And I think they had to raise $3,000. The bill came. It was time to pay for the pews. They're about to be delivered. You couldn't replace these pews for $100,000. But it was like, it might as well have been $3 million what they had to do to come up with it. They paid for this facility here $50,000. Uh, they raised the money, that little fledgling congregation, and we just look back on the Lord's hand and His provision, and we marvel at it. Jacob first asked his father-in-law for his wages, and Laban changed, had changed Jacob's wages ten times. Now, how would you like doing business with the boss? He said, no, I'm, I know we said that, but, you know, and now this is what we're going ten times. Laban is reluctant to let Jacob go. After all, Jacob is somewhat, for lack of better ways to say it, the goose that laid the golden egg, is he not? I mean, Laban, is, he's making money hand over fist because of his son-in-law's expertise in breeding of flocks. Notice Laban's testimony, verse 27. I pray thee, if I have found favor in thine eyes, tarry. For I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for thy sake. Be careful before you pat Laban on the back. You need some more information here. That sounds spiritual. And isn't it something how those kind of people in those kind of situations know how to pour it on? You've, you've done business with somebody and they're about to go for the jugular vein. And they'll always say, because the Bible says, and they'll quote a verse. And you're thinking, you don't know what you're talking about. You it sounds humble, but Laban was blessed because of Jacob's presence and, and Jacob's God. But in the Hebrew, the phrase learned by experience means learned by enchantments. And so we get a little bigger picture into the type of man that Laban was. He, in some way, and we must, just by knowing the phrase and what it means, must have gone to the soothsayer or uh, the, the uh, palm reader to find out what it was. Don't you know he began to think about his son-in-law and say, how does he do that? I mean, everything he touches touch, turns to gold. My flocks just multiply and multiply with compounded interest. What is it? And so he went to find out. He asked the fortune teller, the soothsayer, the palm reader, what is it? Well, the Lord gave him the message, even though he thought it was from the, the, the wrong place or the, the place that he was looking for. God showed him. Part of what he said was true. It was the Lord who favored Jacob and blessed uh, Laban because of him. Even though Laban was related to Abraham and must have mentally ascended to the one true God and his ways, he was still, in the end, an idolater. And we'll find that out even more so with the family idols that he accused of being stolen and so forth. He, he had a, a superstitious religion. Do you know there are some people that, that way? They don't take the Bible at face value and just believe in the Word. They have all kinds of superstition mixed in with it. And it's a very serious matter. May your faith and my faith be rooted upon thus saith the Lord 
period. Not how, how you feel about it or how it felt when the time came or what, who did what or who said, what saith the Lord? And that alone is what we base. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me. My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one, his wounds for me shall plead. Well, however he found it out, he got the message that Jacob was under the special care and direction of God. Get around those kinds of people. May I give you just a bit of advice? Ask the Lord to bring people into your life that, like that. Associate yourself with God's people. Uh, be among the Lord's people. Seek God's wisdom and, and seek what the Lord can do through them in your lives. God always uses other people. We need one another. None of us have arrived. All of us need one another. And the, the graces and the, the wisdom and the blessings of the Lord, the testimonies of what God has done in our lives to bolster our faith. Every true child of God needs this and needs the, the direction of God. Laban knew that it wasn't just good business sense and great ability with Jacob, with livestock that caused him to become more and more wealthy, but that God's hand was upon Jacob. When the Lord's hand is upon it, there's something unmistakable about it. You can't quite put your finger on it. It is the Lord's doing, right? It is marvelous in our eyes. It is the, the man who had been restored to sight. I don't know how, when, or where. All I know is that I was blind, but now I see. The testimony can only be ascribed to the glory of God and not to man. Thou shalt remember, Deuteronomy warns in 8, verse 18, the Lord thy God. And that's why we're here today, aren't we? This one day in seven is His. We're remembering you, Lord. Speak to us. Because we're prone to forget. We're prone to pat ourselves on the back tomorrow when the rays comes or the good thing comes. And my, what a good boy I am. It's the guy who stuck his thumb in the... I read the kids these um, fairy tales and the, all those little mother goose things. And some of them don't make sense. Do you know that? Have you ever read some of them? And I've always thought, well, what's so great about sticking your hand in a, in a, pie, a pie and pulling it out and there's the plum? What a good boy am I? What has that got to do with anything? <laughs> Keep your thumb out of the pie for one thing. But, but we say that, and they love those things, those inane little sayings. You know that a lot of those were written, they were political uh, writings in their day. But I, I digress, I'll not go there this morning. We could, but, but we won't. Thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. That he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers. Our Lord said, I will build my church. And if he's building it today, it's not because of Chris Lamb or you or anybody else. He is sovereignly. He's doing it in spite of us. Do you know that? And Satan can't stop a bit of it. Aren't you glad of that today? The gates of hell shall not prevail against. How could anybody take credit for what the Lord's doing in our midst? Our relationship with God, though, ought to be such that to make a difference in, in our work. I hope where you are is blessed because you're there. Boy, that's a thing to stop and ponder about, isn't it? And I, I say that to myself. Please know that I preach to myself before I ever get in this pulpit to you. We ought to be so valuable, I think, not in a scheming kind of way, but just because we're a member of that particular team or staff or wherever it is, that to our employees, they wouldn't want us to leave. If they had to pick somebody to leave, they wouldn't want it to be you. We ought to be that kind of church member, that, that we would leave our late pastor 
Brother Legrand used to say that we ought to live in such a way that if we were removed, the Lord would remove us through death or whatever, there would be a gaping hole there. You know, I'm getting back to my story about Brother Drummond. I didn't finish that. He wrote a book on Charles Spurgeon, a biography. He went, when he left here, he went to, to England and, and taught in Spurgeon's college. And he wrote, The Prince of Preachers is in our uh, library here, and we recommend you to read it. And I would, he, the last years of Dr. Drummond's ministry, he served at, in, uh, on the staff at Beeson School of Divinity. And uh, he was here in the city, and we got reacquainted. We met in England. And actually, he met Legrand first, and when he heard Legrand's name, he kept up with everything here. He said, I bet I know who your granddaddy is. And he struck up a friendship with us and made an impression on a little teenage boy and uh, just took him in. And so I would often buy Dr. Drummond's book and get him to sign it and give to preacher friends and missionaries as a gift. And one day I was in his office and uh, having him sign the book, and he said, I want you to go visit with me. There's a man in the hospital at St. Vincent's who, was, who made a profession of faith when I pastored there at Glen Iris, and I've never had any confidence in his profession of faith whatsoever. And now he's called for me to come see him. And he said, you need, I want you to come do some visiting with me. One of the highest privileges of my life. And we went in there, and he gently, sweetly, graciously, but he got right down to the point and said, I hear you're about to die. I mean, I wouldn't have used those exact words and... And the man said, yes, the doctor doesn't give me. He said, well, we need to do some business here. And he just opened up his Bible and began to do soul, um, soul medicine. You see, the, the pastor and the soul winner, the Sunday school teacher, is a physician of the soul. And they can run all the tests in the world on your body, but well, how is it with your soul? Is it right with God? That's the, that's the question we need to answer here today. But I asked Brother Drummond, that noted man, I said, how do you explain the ministry of Charles Spurgeon, never went to school, never was ordained, little country boy brought to a dying church in the worst part of town, and the congregation begged him to come, and the Lord initially, signally, immediately blessed his ministry. A handful there that morning, by that Sunday night, they couldn't get a seat, and from then on, the, the, the thousands would come to hear the gospel and they were saved from the uttermost to the guttermost, from royalty to the street cleaners of London, that vast city. And the Lord used him to, to build those orphanages. And pa he educated those preachers free of charge when they came and entered the pastor's college. And Dr. Drummond said, all you can say is it was a work of the Holy Spirit. And if it's truly of the Lord, that's all anybody can say of any true work of God. It wasn't because of how smart they were, how, was Peter, would you put Peter on the level of the smartest theologians of, of, among the disciples? But it was the Lord who chose Peter to preach that day. Who was it? Was it Peter's preaching or was it the Holy Spirit's empowering that saved the thousands at Pentecost? Well, we ought to be blessed. And I'm not talking in this cheap, fleshly way that we hear it today. But the hand of God, may the, the beauty of the Lord be upon us. And establish thou the work of our hands. O oh Lord, do a work in our midst. May the beauty of the Lord be upon our lives and upon this church. May when people put their feet on these grounds, they'll say, this is the Lord's place. The Lord is in this place. May they say that when they shake our hands, when we come in contact with them at the grocery store or in the marketplace or your coworker, that there's something different about that person. The Lord is here. 
Jacob's work was blessed. What a, what a picture of our Savior's life and work. Notice there in verse 27 that Laban says, For thy sake. Ephesians 4.32 says, God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. I am forgiven today, not for my sake or my mother's sake or some preacher's sake. I am forgiven today, cleared by, of blame by God for Christ's sake, for what He has done. 1 John 2, verse 12, Your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. And here God blessed Laban for Jacob's sake. And may we be a blessing to the others because of what our Lord is doing in our lives. In chapter 39, verse 15, we read concerning Egypt and Potiphar, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. David asked after he became king in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, an unbelievable question for a king at that time. Is there any among Saul's household that I may show favor to? Is there any that is left? Of the house of Saul, that man who stalked David every day of his life. I want to show kindness to to any of Saul's descendants, if there are any left. And they found poor, maimed Mephibosheth and brought him to the king's table. And he ate whatever King David ate, Mephibosheth ate. He had all of his father's inheritance restored to him. Isn't that the Lord's graciousness to us? This is our situation today. And if we make no further progress in the text today, I want us to park here for a while. We who know the Lord savingly are blessed, are made right with God because of Jesus' sake, because of His righteousness. And he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He took our place, the blame that Chris Lamb justly deserved for his sake. Laban wasn't going to let Jacob go that easily. He viewed Jacob as a talisman, a good luck charm. Laban had already, as we mentioned, chained Jacob's wages ten times And he wasn't about to let the goose that laid the golden egg leave. Now, Jacob has a plan to get what was owed to him. God gives us sense. Do you know that? Good common horse sense. Do you know where horse sense is found? In a stable mind. You'll get that (laughs) when you get home today. You got sense, don't you? Use them. Use what God has given you. When when Moses said, how can I convince this people to follow me? What did God ask him? Now, Moses, you were so trained in the the colleges of Egypt. You you have all kinds of wisdom. Is that what he told him? What do you tell Moses? What do you have in your hand? Throw it down. That's what I'm going to use. God gives us what he wants us to use for him. That's the freeing thing. I don't have to be Louis Drummond or Charles Spurgeon. I'm Chris Lamb. And you're who you are. And if you have the Lord and you're where He wants you to be, He'll do the rest. We're faithful to Him. Now, Jacob's plan was to get what was owed him. But unless the Lord blessed Jacob's plan, we're going to see how difficult this plan was. It would not have worked. Man proposes, but God disposes. Man plans, and that's good to do, but a plan is just that unless God presides over every detail of the plan. 
Jacob wanted to be clear to Laban and to everyone else that this was the Lord's doing and not man's doing. He didn't want Laban to take credit for his wealth. And so he's going to make it as hard as he can on, on Laban and himself that the Lord would have to bless it. So in verse 31, when Laban asked Jacob, What shall I give you? Jacob answers, Thou, You won't give me anything. Now you're going to a man who owes you tons of money. Years of labor. Who has deceived you into marrying two of his daughters. It's kind of a precarious situation, isn't it? I don't want anything you can give me. What a bold statement. But have you gotten to the place that all you want is what the Lord will give you? Let him give whatever he will. Let him hold back whatever he wants to withhold. But whatever the Lord wants us to have, we want all of it, don't we? Can you live like that? That's a good freeing way to live, isn't it? You don't keep score when that happens. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He had been totally responsible for Laban's flocks for over 14 years. He had learned, as Paul said to the Philippians, My God shall supply all my need according to your... Was, was Jacob hungry? No. He's about to leave. He was going to need money. He was going to need what was owed to him. Jacob's proposal here in verse 32 is like this. And it would prove to all that God is sovereign and the provider of all things. Laban probably expected Jacob to ask for a certain number of animals. And he was kind of cutting his losses. Okay, he's going to ask for that, that heifer over there that's, that's worth, you know, $10,000. And he's going, he already knew what he was going to have to cut and let loose. And he was scheming and planning the whole time. And when Jacob said, I don't want any of it. You don't want any of what? You don't want anything? Jacob proposed to manage and continue for a while to supervise his father-in-law's flocks. He'd been doing that already, hadn't he? Nothing new, no new job description. And that his pay would be the animals that were to be born, had not yet been born, but would be born under his care and oversight from this point on. The ones that would be less desirable to Jacob were the ones that... The, the, the ones that would be less desirable to Laban would be the ones that Jacob would take because of their markings, spotted, splattered. We had a Basenji dog who was a prize-winning dog we found, but she had the ugliest puppies. You could not give them away. When I read this scripture, I think of Senji's puppies. She had beautiful markings, was an absolutely perfect specimen of a Basenji but her puppies looked like you threw motor oil. Have you ever seen a dog that had just absolutely like they'd just been thrown oil? And we tried it, and, and they had different kind of, had long and short hair at the same time. About a llama, we're talking about dogs. And they were just, and I love, any, these were the ugliest puppies. And they got, it only got worse the older they got. We didn't know what we were going to do. And finally, a radio listener called and said that he wanted them. And, and Kathy said, how many of them? He, and I said, he wants all of them. And she said, he, that cannot be. This is, a, this is a scheme. And I said, I'm not asking any questions. He wants these puppies. He can have them. And that's what Jacob, uh, Laban, Jacob said, I'll take all the spotted, speckled, straight, streaked, striped ones. That's what I'll take. The, the dominant colors of Laban's flocks were brown, black, uh, white sheep, black goats, and brown cattle. There were only a few that weren't solid when Jacob is giving this proposal. 
And to make it even more difficult, when you read the record, Laban told his, he gave the, the ones that were spotted and speckled to his sons and told them to go a three days journey so that those could not intermingle. He's making it as hard as he can for, for Jacob. Now you get the picture, and I'm not a breeder of any kind, but he has these white sheep, black cows, and brown whatever, and from them, all his pay is going to be the speckled striped ones, and there's not any there to, to mate that, that, that meet that description. Amazingly, he makes it harder and harder. The chances were minimized greatly, and Laban was outwardly and obviously favored by this arrangement. He said, this guy is more stupid than what I thought him. I let my daughter marry. Yeah, he is, he's, he's, he's as stupid as he looks. And the whole time, Laban is going, man, I can't believe He's, he's doing this. But, okay, that's what you want. It's a deal. Jacob was putting himself entirely at God's mercy. No backup plan. Lord, if you don't do this, we won't have anything. I'm speaking to the one who has heard about the glory of Jesus Christ. The mercy of the Savior, the only Savior. There's no plan B. There's just Jesus Christ, and He's glorious. He's a bridegroom to be loved. He is the lover of our souls. And today, with nail-pierced hands, He's saying, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Rest not to your body, but rest to your soul. I will do that. But some, having heard of that great Savior, amazingly, still linger. Can He really save? Will He save one like me? Is it that simple that I go to Him and trust Him and Him alone for salvation? Does He know what I've done? And the answer to that is yes. And He still says, come. Come. Come now. Let us reason together. Your sins are as scarlet, but I will make them white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as white as wool. Only He can do that. Have you not come to Him? Have you come to that place where it's Jesus and nothing else? Jesus alone. Jesus only. Laban jumped at this arrangement, and he thought he would come out better than if he had to pay Jacob up front by any other arrangement. And so he would lose nothing that already belonged to him. And, and you know the, the rest of the story. And time escapes me that Jacob begins to breed the, the, the flocks. And some have laughed and scorned at the, uh, that him putting, when they would come to the water troughs, he would, put, he would strip these poles and put them before the, the, the females and to make them bare, striped, speckled, spotted animals. And people have, have laughed about that and, and said, that's ridiculous. But I want to tell you something. Jacob is over 90 years of age. Okay, let's look at the facts here. This Holy Spirit just tells us what happened. doesn't always explain the behind-the-scenes things. So let's just look at a moment before we close. Jacob's been at this a while, hasn't he? His father's flocks were his, and he'd been successful there. He knew the ins and outs of breeding. He had watched, he had examined, he had measured, he knew all there was about these animals. He was smart. 
He was observant. He had a keen eye, and he was diligent in his field. That's what we should be, all of us, wherever the Lord has placed us. For most of his life, he'd studied livestock. He knew livestock. I used to love to go to the, the fair when I was a boy, the Tuscaloosa County Fair. You've never lived. You've gone to the Tuscaloosa County Fair. I used to look at those big old hogs. How many of you have been to a county fair like that? These younger people, they don't know what we're talking about. Big old ca- a cow as big as a car. Big old black Angus cows. Big old hogs. Sheep that had the blue ribbon outside. And you'd look at it and say, why'd they choose? And, oh, yeah, that, that's, I've never seen anything quite like that. The roosters, the chick, even roses. They even gave a ro- award for the, the roses. I used to love to go. The rides didn't, wasn't nothing thrill me. I wanted to go see the big old cows with their big brown eyes. And the big fat pigs. I love to see those things. And the sheep and all that they'd have in the display. He's given his life to the livestock. And even today, may I, and we have some scientists and researchers in our, and doctors in our congregation, so I always get on, on thin ice when I go into areas that, that they know is not my expertise. And so that's why I go to others who do have some knowledge. But you would have to agree with me, you, you researchers here, that there's much that scientists don't understand about DNA. Would you agree, Dr. Smith and uh, Dr. Jean there? You would agree with me that there's much that science does not know about DNA, about heredity. Variations in the DNA molecular structure is vast, and we all know that. It could be that Jacob may have known certain things about these animals that modern scientists have yet uncovered, yet to uncover. The Lord gives wisdom, doesn't he? We should trust him in our fields of work. You should pray, Lord, make me wise in the area where I am. Did he do that for Joseph? Did he do that for Daniel? He did it for, for, for Jacob. And to give us what we need as we are researching and studying and developing, ask God for that kind of wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, what are you to do? Ask God who gives it liberally, and he doesn't fuss at you for asking for wisdom. He loves to give wisdom to us. Well, it's unlikely that a sheep or any other animal who looks at a striped stick that's been stripped of its bark would conceive and bear striped animals that can influence that in that way. But there are certain chemicals we do know that can influence prenatally if they reach the embryo or if before conception, the DNA in in the germ cells. Could it be, and I'm just raising the question again, I'm not a scientist, could it be that that certain chemicals emitted from the wood of these trees, these peeled rods, when they put them in the watering troughs, when they came to water, that it influenced the water that the animals drank and caused them to have the speckled, striped uh, animals? If nothing else, and I quote here from Dr. Uh, a scientist here, Dr. Henry Morris, he's at the top of my list. I'll just tell you what he says about it. If nothing else, water treated thus may have served as an aphrodisiac or infertility promoter among the cattle. At least one such chemical substance found in these trees has been used for such a purpose in both ancient and modern times. And I rest my case. That's as far as I'm going. I don't know what else to say. But But Jacob did it, and they did conceive. And we all have to agree is God blessed his efforts. It's not some good luck charm of stripped poles standing in front of their eyes and the, the cow seeing it and then having a spotted cow. Don't, don't take that from it. There's some reason there that we might not, not know about it. But he realized it was God, not himself to be praised because later in chapter 32, verse 10, he said, I am not worthy at the least of all the mercies 
and of all the truth. Do you see that? Of all the truth that God had given him, which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I have passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. The Lord had done this. I'm not responsible for all the truth. I didn't come up with all the truth that God's given me is what he's saying. And you know what? Neither are you. God has let you know some amazing things. He's let you know how to get to heaven from earth. And men have come up with all kinds of idiotic ways to do it, haven't they? Foolish, silly ways. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. We come to the Lord as He is. Have you thanked the Lord for the truth He has shown you even this day? That there is a Savior who's willing to save, who can save, and He alone can save. Beside Him there is no other. And if you come taking Him at His word, resting in Him and Him alone to save you, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He has saved us. To as many as received Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God, even to as many as believed on His name. Not by the will of the flesh or the, the ways of man, the Scripture goes on to say. In just a few years, God blessed Jacob astoundingly. Not by treachery or deceit of some commentators have made Jacob out to be the villain here. He used what sense he had and asked God to bless it. And God showed him how to get the wages that were due him. Just as he laid on the children of Israel's hearts, he'll lay on their hearts when they leave Egypt. Do what? Ask for your wages. And the Egyptians, what? They gave them gold and silver and precious things as they left. God is the doer of all these things, isn't he? We marvel at Him, and so at the end of it all, all we can say is all glory to Jesus, begotten of God, Savior, Creator, Redeemer of man. He does move in mysterious ways. We cannot always trace His ways, but this we know, He is at work. His Word is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing and dividing asunder even the joints and the marrow and the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And by that Word... He will regenerate the heart and save. And the Lord blessed him. And we say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, the songwriter said, all the way my Savior leads me. What can I ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith, by faith, by faith. Oh, teach that to that trembling soul today who has worked and had done all kinds of things, but they've never come just by simple faith in you to dwell. Lord, give grace to believe. And that one who may be struggling with sin, would you give them pardon and freedom and liberty and salvation in the name of our Savior? Would you work? And by the power of your Spirit, the Spirit that brooded over creation, may He brood in each heart tonight, today, and bring forth eternal life, we pray in Jesus' name.